Welcome to the LP Lounge, presented by Hip Dad Radio. If you are looking to discover new music, appreciate older tunes, or learn more about your favorite bands, this is the place for you. Come on in and take a seat with your host, Reed Rinaldi. Every week, we will peel back the curtains, giving you an intimate look at the lives and creative processes of musicians. Now let's dive into some music. Could feel so old. And even when I lay my head, it's hard to fight. It's obvious I must have missed the sight. No place to go. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, you got it. We have a little bit, I wouldn't say history. I haven't known you for very long, but in the short amount of time I've had of knowing you, I definitely haven't been able to learn a whole lot. So I'm excited to sit down and talk to you and get to know you better. Likewise, man, we definitely have some shared interests. The first time we met, we were talking about like exactly this sort of shit. So it's, uh, it's about time. Awesome. Well, I do have one question that I start everybody off with. What was the first live show you ever went to? Not, you know, your parents taking you to a show, but you bought tickets for and you went to. Oh, man, that was um, Girl Talk at uh, the Congress Theater in Chicago. And short, I don't remember if it was like a double feature or it was the following day, but also Dead Mouse and Skrillex. That was uh, very, very influential to my, yeah. my young life. All right. Well, um, before we get into the music, I know you just a little bit. Why don't you let our audience know a little bit about who you are outside of the music? Sure. I used to just be a performing artist. I played in a band for a really long time. And when I turned 18 or so, I got really into electronic music and rap. And I started learning how to produce and DJ. And now I'm some sort of bizarre interdisciplinary creative that has a really hard time explaining myself when asked this question. Uh, So... (laughs) Yeah, man, I I do all sorts of stuff. Um, Now my main focus is streaming. I have a um, five times a week late night show on Twitch with uh, Sir Michael Rocks, one half of the rap group, The Cool Kids. When the world is functioning somewhat normally, I'm also The Cool Kids tour DJ. I produce for myself. I produce for a group called Mystery School. That's me and uh, Sir Michael Rocks doing like experimental hip hop stuff. And um, I've become somewhat of a producer in the more traditional sense, doing the, the live show that we do five nights a week. So um, pretty interdisciplinary, but DJ, producer, tech guy is how I would sum it up. Right on. And I'm sure during quarantine, that's taken up a lot of your time since you can do it all online, right? Yeah, man. It's, I mean, I, before quarantine, my schedule was pretty haphazard. Like we did the the mystery school stream, which is the late night show, um, three nights a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I would DJ during the weekends at like bars and shit and occasionally do cool kids gigs. But it was pretty haphazard. Ever since uh, quarantine started, we started doing the show, the mystery school show five nights a week. And that had a lot of technical lift that I needed to figure out to make that work. So it, it really quickly became a full-time job, both in terms of man hours of actually doing the show and getting ready for it. So mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been really busy with that. Yeah. Well, a little more outside of the music here, our listeners probably don't know this. And I don't know if even your friends might not know this, but in 2011, <laughs> you won the National Debate Championship for Lane. Oh, Jack. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tell us so, about that, man. <laughs> so... I didn't win in terms of the actual ranking, but I did win a, I was the first place speaker at the 2011 national urban debate championship in Washington, DC. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, dude, debate. Like, honestly, I feel like a lot of artists I've talked to kind of cringe when you talk about their like their quote unquote academic experience, but debate honestly, man was really important for me and what I'm doing now. And debaters, 
either ended up working for the Department of Defense or became artists. There was like no in between. So yeah, I was a, a policy debater in high school and there's a couple different types of debate, but uh, the one that I did is the funniest because you speak extremely fast. Like people who have seen videos, if you, if you YouTube search uh, high school policy debate, you're like speaking so fast at the high level that to the average person, it sounds just like gibberish and people like make fun of it often. But it was a really great but stressful experience. I'm a very anxious person, so I was anxious all the time. But uh, man, it, it, was, um, it was really good for me socially. I met a lot of cool people. It, I actually learned something. I would go so far as to say that debate is the only thing that kept me from um, burning out like intellectually. I didn't give a shit about school, but... Uh, debate was was really fun and there were a lot of really cool people involved so policy debate you have to talk best give me your best like auction voice impression dude going if once, i can go twice if i pull up an article i can i can show you what we what we did hold on let me yeah please do news um let me find something here a few moments later here we go so this is the type of shit that we would actually read in debate let me put this in the chat uh some random article. I just Google searched news and found Greek foreign minister hopes to avoid conflict in East Mediterranean. So, okay. All right. So, oh God. Um, <laughs> I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> uh, okay. So you would read the headlines like Greek foreign minister hopes to avoid conflict in Eastern Mediterranean. Here's the body of the article. Greek foreign minister Nicolaitan did said on Friday. He hopes that all parties involved in dispute in Eastern Mediterranean see according to the international law and there would be no conflict and hope that no conflict everybody keeps in mind acts according to international law and international dispute in the sea. He told importers after discussing the dispute over Turkey and energy and exploitation in Mediterranean. U.S. State Secretary Mike Pompeo in Vienna. The United States Department said in its statement two ministers discussed the urgent need to reduce tensions in the Eastern Mediterranean without providing more So it would just be like that for like fucking, you know, that was horrible out, out of, uh, you know, very out of practice. But you should see these fucking like 16 year olds, man, just like ripping through yeah. these uh, incredibly dense articles and shit that's awesome so that was you that's pretty cool i i appreciate you doing that <laughs> thanks man <laughs> that's awesome backtrack a little bit you mentioned that you said doing debate helped you in what you're doing now artistically yeah. how so yeah um it's uh without getting too like fucking esoteric about it, it you, no you please to, do i want you to get esoteric oh okay okay sure with getting esoteric about it um part of the, the the thing that everyone makes fun of about debate is the the speed reading honestly um where it's like you're just you're just you know rambling and my example is really poor if you do a, if you if you youtube search policy debate speed reading or something like that you'll see these kids just tearing through incredibly dense like philosophical articles and shit and after you you know pay attention and practice for a while like you learn to retain a lot more information and think on a bunch of levels at once because the the reason that people read so fast is you want to make as many arguments as possible in a condensed amount of time that makes sense and the more arguments you can make, the more arguments the next person has to respond to, you know, so you can kind of like sandbag. So in terms of my actual creative process, I'm sure that there's some sort of causal link between that and I don't know, me having more mental bandwidth to think about cool shit or whatever. But primarily, it's it's just how I, um, I don't know, talk to people, organize myself in the world. It really helped me out with the business side of things, like mm -hmm. knowing how to clearly present and articulate myself and like really organize my thoughts to talk about how I'm feeling or what I want to get done or, you know, even down to talking to business people in, in meetings or whatever. I would say that's where it had the most tangible um, effect. But yeah, I mean, it was just a, it's kind of silly to say, but just a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking all the time about what I think about things, which helps me articulate myself, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And like, I could tell now and from meeting you and watching mystery school that like you're very well spoken you know Thanks, there's man. nothing that comes out of your mouth that you probably like don't like subconsciously think about a lot before you say at least at least somewhat i mean it's so weird dude doing the mystery school stream um the way that we describe it you know people listening probably haven't heard or seen it's uh we describe it as the the first late night show on twitch where the hosts are also the musical guests and there's um like a dj mix at the beginning where it's kind of like a radio show uh, the bulk of the show is we have our viewers submit news articles that they want us to talk about on the stream and they skew mostly fucked up or silly or kind of like 
irreverent or, or nothing like too dense. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't bury our head in the sand in terms of like, you know, actually legitimate political issues. I would say it's kind of like a, a 75-25 split between like just total bullshit that everyone can laugh at and 25% serious discussions. And in the state of the world right now, you know, even some of the the sillier discussions have weighted implications. So I do still find myself sometimes uh, having to clarify or not necessarily go back on what I said. You just need to be really delicate when you have a, a public forum, especially if there's a lot of people watching to like not say some shit that will be misconstrued. And even mm-hmm. if you think about it a lot, uh, you still sometimes find yourself like saying something where like, oh, well, could that be taken the wrong way? Or like, you know, how's someone going to interpret that? And um, it's definitely debate absolutely helped me with that. But you know, no one's uh, infallible from saying some shit you need to walk back on. Yeah. Well, I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum. I kind of just like say whatever I feel, <laughs> but I have, I have the benefit of, you know, with this podcast, I can go back and I edit it before I publish it. So I, oh, say, yeah. if I say something fucked up. I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if that was Ooh. okay to say. Like <laughs> maybe didn't really, I was kind of just yeah. like feeling weird at the time. I can take it out and it's, it's not a big deal and nobody knows right. it better. But we also at hip dad radio, we do a thing like really similar to mystery school. And honestly, you've really inspired me a lot. So we had a conversation one day in your room about like all the stuff you do, like all the mixing, the audio, like green screen and stuff. And like right. next week, my buddy and I went out to micro center. We got like a, a green screen and like a oh, camera. Yeah. And so we're doing streams like that. And honestly, hell for, yeah. for the most part, it, the, the show is called hip hop pops and we're supposed to be talking about rap and, and hip hop. But I would say 80% of that show is us dicking around. We had a show like a couple <laughs> days ago and we streamed for an hour and 45 minutes and we played five songs. Yeah, dude, sometimes that's how it is. We're supposed to do, be doing a news segment and sometimes we'll talk about one article. And then last night we got off on a tangent about um, Mormon soaking, how Mormons will. Oh, dude. Uh, oh, man, you know. I've got so much to say about oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> I already so, know. Yeah. I lived out in Utah for a year. And, <laughs> dude, there's some really fucked up shit out there. I mean, like, so you read up on it. So you know that, like, soaking yeah. is like, you know, you just don't thrust. You just, yeah, you no just penetrate and you, and you wait there. But another uh-huh. way they get around that is they just have anal sex, too. That's all. I feel like that one's non unique to Mormons. I feel like all sorts of devoutly religious people. Yeah, you're people, right. You know, which which led to the the colloquialism, uh, God's loopholes in the poop hole. Uh, I, I've <laughs> yeah. heard that from from several different religious denominations. Soaking, however, unique phenomenon that totally I have good. not seen. Uh, it's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating shit. I'm I'm a soaking fan, definitely yeah, soaking. I've, fan. I've got a little bit of an anecdote here for, uh, about the Mormon community. But I've told this <laughs> to my friends like a million times because whenever anybody like lightly brings up Mormons, I have to bring this up, but. Uh, when I lived out in Utah, I had a friend who I worked with at a restaurant. She's like, oh, like, come to the church. Like, I know you really are curious about what the religion is about. And I was like, I kind of just wanted to see what it was like inside and what yeah. they talk about. And that's a different story. That was fucked up. But afterwards, I didn't know that she was bringing me to a mixer. So there was this event oh. that they have like every couple of months where they bring people in that aren't in the church to hook them up with people who are in the church. So they marry into the church. Yeah. Hurt them. I had no clue. I didn't even know it was a mixer afterwards. Nobody said anything to me, but this girl came up to me and she's like, Oh, you know, I'm friends with, I even forget the girl's name now. And she's like, Oh, I'm friends with this. She's like, she told me all about you. I'm like, Oh, cool. And like, we were talking, we really hit it off. Like we had a lot of the same interests and like hiking and music and food. And I took her on a date. Like later that day, we like, we were like, Oh, let's meet up for dinner and go on a date. Went well, had a good second date. And on the third date, she goes, Reed, I need you to be honest with me. Like, do you think we're going to get married? Because if you don't think we're getting married, you're kind of wasting my time. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that was a, a bit of a covert operation on her part, man. Totally was. I mean, sinister. like, very sinister, very sneaky. <laughs> I can't say it almost worked. I was kind of. I want. I don't want to say repulsed afterwards, but I was like, <laughs> nah, you have the wrong idea. Yeah, not interested. Let's cut it off here. Let's cut yeah, it short. Absolutely. Here. Uh, so I want to get into another one of your hobbies, sure. which is scuba diving. Yes, absolutely. I have always wanted to go scuba diving. I love the water. I know you're Pisces. I'm one too. Yes. Oh I, yeah, fuck him. Yeah, can't take go. me out of the water. I like. I don't care what. I don't care if you put a kiddie pool in my living room. Like I'll get in. So tell right. me how you got into scuba diving and, and what you do with that. 
Dude, it was, it was all my dad. Um, I'm really, really fortunate to have a great relationship with both my parents, obviously, but my dad um, has very, very similar interests and kind of uh, inducted me into a lot of his own hobbies and interests. And I mean, he was a musician for a long time. He works in film production now. So he got me started early on uh, playing drums, which inevitably led to kind of my, my career in music and uh, the other thing that he really pushed for hard was scuba diving. And it was just something that he would always talk to me about when I was, when I was little and I, you know, loved water growing up. I learned to swim really early on. I, you know, loved to go to summer camp and swim. And he would always tell me like, you know, at the time, I think the age was 12. It's like, when you turn 12, we can go and scuba dive and you can get certified. And I was always really excited about that. And, you know, sure enough, he, um, when I turned 12, we took a, took a trip to Cozumel, Mexico and did a little, a little checkout dive. I was, I was hooked, man. It was awesome. I had snorkeled before, really loved it. And it became a tradition that my dad and I do up until, you know, this year when I don't know how travel is going to look in December, but around every November, December, we'd take a trip somewhere and uh, stay somewhere super cheap and uh, just try to find good places to dive. And that, um, that's definitely a, a huge part of my life. I got a saltwater fish tank next to yeah, me. I was going to ask you about fish that tank. too. I love that tank. Yeah, yeah. man. This, uh, the viewers at home can't see, but like most of my art back here has fish in it. That's like a, like fish gods. That's a fish god. That's a clownfish and an anemone over there. So I'm, I'm big into um, saltwater fish and, and diving. And that's a, that's a really big part of my life for sure. Awesome. That's really cool. Uh, where's the coolest place you've ever gone diving? Hmm. Coolest I would say Thailand. Um, I went to Thailand in, I think it was 2014, I believe. And uh, that was just, I had never been in Asia, anywhere in Asia. And so to fly around or to fly over there, we literally fucking circumnavigated the earth in a plane there and back. And that was my first time on uh, what's called a liveaboard, which is like a, a dive boat that you just live on. And it goes Whoa. like much farther out into the ocean because like usual dive sites, you either wade out in the shore or more commonly like a boat comes and picks you up and, you know, you maybe ride for an hour out to a reef or like between like 15 minutes to an hour out to a reef, like close to a, a dock or something. But the real shit, the real pristine like wild, you know, National Geographic shit is like way far out in the ocean where you're not having commercial dive operations run all the time. So we, we stayed on a, a liveaboard for I think four nights and it just went way out off the coast of Thailand and we would stop along these remote dive sites. And there was one in particular called Richelieu Rock, which um, is known for like, just an insane amount of biodiversity and diving there, like just being parked in the middle of the ocean on a boat is pretty nuts uh, as someone who just lives in a city their entire life. But the, the diving there was unlike anything I've ever seen. There was just like, you, you were like bumping into creatures going underwater. There were cuttlefish everywhere. Those little Cthulhu looking dudes. Mm -hmm. They were like mating in front of us and they like lock faces. They like lock their tentacles together and like cuttlefish were everywhere. There were like huge schools of gigantic fish because they're not fishing out there. And it was just out in the middle of the ocean, incredible amount of biodiversity. That was like, that was a real, uh, a real privilege to see that one. I would say that that was the, that was the coolest for sure. I know you also had a pretty poor, I wouldn't say scuba diving experience, but traveling experience when you went to go dive in Curacao. Yeah. You got stranded. Um, and I talked to your dad about this. Dude, actually. yeah. <laughs> You're stranded. And then when you finally like got off the next day to see him, like you, I don't think you cared really at all about being stranded. It was what it was. But what you hated yeah. was that you had to wear dress shoes all night. Dude, yes. That actually ties into something you asked about earlier. I was coming from the national the 2010 national urban debate championship mm -hmm. which was a terrible time because you can start debating your sophomore year of high school where where i went to school and that's called novice debate and if you're good in novice debate like you're the hot shit man because like it's a bunch of these kids who have never it's their first year debating like some people take initiative and you really excel you're running laps around everyone else so i was pretty good at novice level debating as soon as that, this was my junior year when I was going to Curacao, um, my junior year of debate, 
I got paired up with with a varsity debater who was like just sick at debate. Really, really smart guy. Shout out Josh Rivera. Very friendly guy too. I don't know how many times anybody's ever said this guy was sick at debating, <laughs> but I'm glad he was I heard just, it. Dude, he was uh, nasty at, at debate. He was very, very like about as eloquent and well-spoken as you could be. Very kind guy. I think he's in uh, politics in Michigan now. I think he's running for like Senate or something. He was very kind to me but i got tossed into the ringer i had no like he was just carrying me along and i was failing every debate i was not prepared at all for or like you know varsity debate against juniors and and seniors and he qualified for for the urban national debate championship in new york you know i was on his team but i i was not doing shit he was like carrying the entire thing so the way that we scheduled the trip was I would go, I flew from Chicago to New York to do the tournament with my school and I would fly from New York to Curacao to meet my dad. But it was like, that's in the ABC islands, Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao. They're all really close to each other. And you always got to fly in, in a weird way. Like you go to Aruba. If, if you're going to Curacao, you land in Aruba, go to Curacao, or you land in Bonaire and go to Aruba or some weird shit like that. So all I had with me was a backpack with a notebook in it, dress shoes, a hoodie, my phone, and my wallet. And um, I got on the plane, you know, from New York, like not thinking about it. And when we landed in Curacao, because we were going to Bonaire, I was supposed to be going to Bonaire, landed in Curacao, my connecting flight was just canceled. And I was, um, I think I was 16 at the time. So I was just like, well, shit, you know, no cell service, just kind of sitting there and I was sitting on the the curb of the airport which is just like right on this small street and in this on this tropical island and I was sitting there and I never felt anxious and I was just like you know I wonder what's gonna happen like I wonder what I'm supposed to do now (laughs) and as I thought that to myself a three women um three generations the the granddaughter the mom and the grandma approached me and we're like, hey, are you okay? Like, do you need to, you know, did your flight get canceled? Like, what's going on? And I was like, yeah, my flight did get canceled. And I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go. And they took me with them to a hotel and they got me dinner and they looked after me and put me up. And then the following day, everything was cool. I got back on my, my new connecting flight and it was fine. I made it to, uh, made it to Bon Air. It was a good time. But you had to wear dress shoes the whole time. So Yes, that, that did suck. Um, wearing <laughs> dress shoes in like a 100-degree tropical climate is, is unfortunate. But. I'm sure it's not great. And you know those dress socks are really thin. They're not oh, really yeah. Comfortable. yeah. <laughs> it was just you. weird. I was like wearing an American apparel hoodie and like jeans and dress shoes and just walking around in Curacao. Was That's hilarious. Strange. I love that. I know you're a big sneaker guy now. So do you wear sneakers to weddings? Uh, I haven't been to a wedding since I was uh, like 17. So okay. I haven't even had the opportunity. I'm not th- like, I'm like, I would describe myself as a closeted sneakerhead. Uh-huh. Um, I do like the occasional nice sneaker. I'm not the type of dude who's like bidding on shit or like get first in line at like a Nike store. Yeah. That I really, really don't care. I honestly kind of like the, um, the, the like quote unquote high end sneakers that I have are all the ones that came from a release that like no one liked or no one bought. And mm-hmm. I don't seek that out for like street cred. I'm just like, Oh, these ones are selling for under retail. Like I'll, I'll grab that. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what that says about me, but I like, yeah, I pay attention to sneakers at yeah. least a little bit. I'm not a big sneaker guy, but the one release in like the last couple of years I was really excited about was Adidas did like the Dragon Ball Z collection. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those I were, did. Honestly, all of those were so cool. And I, I wanted some and I'm like, Oh, I could probably get these retail. No problem. And like everybody comp them like pretty much right, right. away. Oh yeah. Like, and then resold them for it. like a mortgage or some shit. Yeah, exactly. I, right. I, I haven't done any research on them, so maybe they're cheap now, but big DBZ fan from a kid. Dude, my, my, my favorite brand that I follow, I'm, I kind of just like wear whatever. Um, but one brand I would say I'm actually really into in the realm of sneakers is uh, Acronym, which has been, I mean, not necessarily co-opted. They kind of developed at the same time, but uh, like tech wear people, you know, who mm-hmm. dress like ninjas in the city, like futuristic cyberpunk ninjas and wear like Gore-Tex raincoats and like baggy joggers with like utility belts on Dude, them and shit. I, so I love that aesthetic. I'd never <laughs> wear it, by the way. You know, I'm, yeah. like, I'm only like 5'8". I'm like 200 pounds. Like I can't fucking pull that off. I don't look like a ninja. You yeah. know? I, look, I look more like Mario than a ninja. So I can't pull it off, but I think it's a cool aesthetic. But yeah, I see that. Seeing it in person is different too. It's kind of it wild. Is. 
And like, I feel like, you know, I've seen those guys in person a handful of times. I do, I am religious about going to the, uh, the anime convention here in Chicago, ASEN. Um, that's a, that's a happy place for me. And you see those guys around there and sometimes just like downtown or whatever. And I'm always like, holy shit. Cause the commitment to the aesthetic is very, very dire. And I just happen to like bits and pieces from this designer acronym. Um, and they do like Nike collabs and shit. So you know, there's like the the regular sneaker resale market, but then acronym, it's made in such limited runs, like the actual clothing. I don't own any of the clothing. The shoes are easier to come by. Like you get a jacket, um, you know, that's sort of St. Alfred's in on, on Milwaukee in Wicker Park. It's like a streetwear, streetwear, like sneaker shop. They just sell like I live right by it, so I'm sure if I, if I saw it, I would know. It's, it's right on Milwaukee, like right uh, uh, south of the uh, Damon and Milwaukee intersection or diversity in Milwaukee intersection. And um they have an acronym jacket in there that's been there for a full year that retails for like $3,000 because they make so few of these. And these fucking ninjas are just like fighting over each other to get the the one <laughs> jacket that was made in this like limited run. I'm like, guys, you can have that, man. I'm not, I'm not in that world that's at crazy. all. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely a, uh, you know, I'm a band t-shirt and shorts and you know, sneaker kind of guy. That's just how yeah. I roll. But hell yeah. I mean, I really admire the commitment to an aesthetic, especially <laughs> you're gonna spend thousands of dollars. I would right. never do it, but couldn't be me. Couldn't be no, me. Absolutely not. I respect it though. So I want to transition a little bit more into the music now because sure. this is a music podcast. Um and can you do me a favor and outline to me as to why 2013 was such a bad year? Oh man. Um 2013 was fine for me, but the band that I was in at the time, Give Back, uh, was helmed by Ryan Walsh, one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And he, at that time, was taking direction, like kind of had totally taken over direction of the band that we were in since seventh grade. Um, it's some backstory on that. Our band was called Give Back. And, you know, I feel like maybe two out of three young men in middle school or high school will attempt to join a band at one point in their life. Yeah. Uh, we took that shit very, very seriously. Like starting around eighth grade or so we practiced, I would say on average, like 20 hours a week, like 20, wow. 30 hours a week after, after school, every day we wrote original music. We were really passionate about, um, about being in this band and it persisted up until 2013, which was my freshman year of college and uh, Ryan Walsh had a bad 2013. He's kind of a, um, it's not doing him justice to describe him this way, but kind of like an anti-technology sort of guy. He works for the park districts now. He's just a real, um, just a real good salt of the earth dude. Kind of like a Ron and, Swanson kind of character. Yeah, man. And just such a good hearted, like genuine guy that doesn't have time for all the Facebook and the Instagram and the, you know, SMS text messaging. He always kind of like resisted that uh that vibe and he was having a hard time in 2013 um i don't remember what it was about exactly i think just the way that the world was <laughs> was going uh but yeah the the 2013 give back album was 2013 was a bad year and uh i have to admit i was kind of on the way out at that point in time i started as owen bones in 2012 and the summer prior I got my first taste of like DJing at like illegal loft parties and uh, you know, <laughs> like warehouse events and all that super cool DJ shit. Ooh. So I was like, Oh, too cool to be not too cool, but like playing drums in a band with like, you know, folky stuff. I was like, no guys, I got to, this is the future. I like electronic music and trap music now. Like you guys don't get me. So it was a transitory period, but 2013 was a, uh, was a tough year for the, for the band. Yeah. So what was that transition like going from drumming for like a folky kind of alternative rock band to DJing? Because that's, I mean, those genres, I don't want to say they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. But there's not an incredible amount of overlap. There, there's not. Um, so it, it wasn't like as extremely jarring as you might imagine. Our band had kind of like a um pop alternative sound i would say like we mm -hmm. we occasionally would play covers we mostly did original music but we would cover bands like uh phoenix for instance that kind of had that um alternative sound but a little bit more pop leaning so it wasn't like totally acoustic guitar you know and a harmonica or some shit and then i was suddenly playing like flostradamus but um i kind of always had that that angle to me i i was really into 
just like video games and technology and kind of like cutting edge tech shit growing up as a teenager. So, and hip hop, I was kind of the one who would be, who would be introducing rap music to my peers in the band and stuff. So I always kind of skewed that way a little bit and mm-hmm. it at least somewhat influenced the direction that the band would go. But um, yeah, when I was 16, I started getting really into hip hop production. By the time I was 18, I was really into like electronic music and rap, like ASAP Rocky was coming out at that time. Mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar was starting to get really big at that time. So there's kind of this huge wave that happened in terms of like popular culture, like underground, quote unquote, underground hip hop. Um, that really captivated me. And summer of 2012, when I graduated high school, I was like, I just really felt passionate about starting to DJ because I was, I was getting offers to, um, I had started making my own beats and people were like, Hey, you want to like DJ my house party? And I was like, Oh, well I better figure out how to DJ and like buy equipment that would let me do so. And so it happened pretty naturally. Like, you know, we were all going to go to college anyway. The band was going to kind of shift around anyway. So I, I wouldn't say I capitalized on that opportunity, but it was just something I was interested in. And I started naturally kind of exploring these other sounds. And by the time that, you know, college started and we weren't like practicing nearly as often, stuff like that, it was much easier for me to be doing solo stuff and experiment with making beats in my dorm or, uh, you know, getting invited to DJ a house party or something like that. So for me, it was, it was pretty natural. Um, everyone else didn't really get it. I, I think they considered it like, they, they didn't understand that type of music. They didn't understand like how it related to me or to them. Um, but for me, it was a pretty natural transition, I'd say. I know through talking to you outside of this podcast that a lot of your knowledge of producing and music and the technology is self-taught. You know, yeah. like I remember I was asking you questions and you're like, oh, I looked it up on this and I looked it up on right. that. Do you think it's at all ironic that you failed your first computer class in high school? <laughs> yes. Yes and No. Yes, because it's a computer class. It should have been easy for me. No, because disregarding institutional learning is how I've made my way in the world. And uh, that class, I remember, was particularly bullshit because it was just like, you know, all kids are kind of like, why do I need to know this? Like, this won't help me in real life. This was the spitting image of it. It was just like, okay, export a, you know, a word document with this many words in it. Just these completely arbitrary, no transferable skills at all, utter bullshit, busy work. And I just was like, fuck this, man. I, I, I can't even force myself to care. And I was like a decent student in high school. I, I kind of showed up late every day and just you know, slid by, but I did okay in high school, but that one, I couldn't keep the facade up for man. And I would be on, on, you know, um, forums and shit, reading about the shit that I actually, uh, cared about as I'm sure a lot of other uh, listeners were. So that's the kind of vibe that I think, um, you know, our generation and now, especially kids now who are just sitting at home in quarantine on zoom calls, like with fucking discord open in the background. Like, I think that that's kind of the new, um, uh, the new medium by which we, we learn shit, especially if it's creative. So, um, it surprises me a little bit cause I wish I figured it out, but on the other hand, it's like, <laughs> no, nah, man, I was, t- I was teaching myself what I wanted to know anyway, I guess. Yeah. I'm the same way, man. I mean, in high school, I like, I was a good tester. I was a smart kid, but if somebody just gave me a homework assignment, I'm like, why, why am I going to do this? I just did the yeah. same exact problem in class. Like, you know, exactly. I can do it. And so I think yeah. there's a, there was a semester where I finished chemistry with a B minus and I finished with a B minus with a 24% in my homework category. Yeah, dude. I, same way. Totally, totally understand that. I, I just wish it was tests. I don't want to do homework. Like if you test me yeah. on it, I'll do fine. Like if I have same. to retain the knowledge on my own, I could do it, but Right. I hate busy work. And that's yeah, ultimately why I failed out of college. Yeah. And <laughs> on that note, like, yeah, I, I dropped out of college because I was doing something at least somewhat related to what I do now. I believe my degree was going to be called uh, sound. It was, it would be a bachelor's degree in sound in digital cinema, which like was very strange to me because, you know, and now I, I do technically work in production and, uh, you know, visual arts as well, since I do the stream, but um, I just wanted to learn about music technology and how to, how to, you know, score and just write better music. And at DePaul, to get into the actual music school, you needed to know how to play a classical instrument, which like just 
immediately going into my freshman year, I was like, well, what? that's fucking ridiculous. Like, what about all the other musicians who can't play like the oboe or something, you know, that like, could you have like learned percussion and qualified um, or like, was that not what they were looking it, for? When I was trying to switch my degree to learn anything, I wanted to do, I didn't even want to get a music degree. I wanted like a, a audio technology degree for like recording, mm -hmm. mixing, mastering, stuff like that you needed to test in with a classical test where like you had to be able to read sheet music and shit, even for the technical recording stuff, wow. which just like off top, I was like, this is not, this just doesn't make sense. Like why, why yeah. this doesn't foster creativity. I'm upset about this. So it was the, you know, the, the sound and digital cinema, it was mostly focusing on like, if you were going to work in the film industry or like TV or something. So there were plenty of like interesting things I learned, but I was like, this is just busy work, man. I can, I can teach myself this shit, like on YouTube tutorials, which I inevitably did. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I'm it's sure we could go on for hours talking about like how institutional learning is like totally skewed towards oh, a certain yeah. type of person, but absolutely. Again, I we keep on getting off track here. I really want to ask you about the music. Um, <laughs> how how did the cool kids come into play? Like, how did you meet those guys? And yeah, what did that process start off as? So I started um, releasing self-releasing little beats and stuff on SoundCloud in 2011, 2012, and it was unorthodox at the time because that was right when there was the huge explosion of interest in quote unquote trap music in the U S which like coincided exactly when the U S became aware of EDM uh, guys like Skrillex and dead mouse were kind of that first wave between like 2008 to 2010 or so. And then 2010, 2012 um, it sort of fused into that like electronic hip hop sound with like the big 808s and, you know, like Waka Flocka features on like a fucking EDM drop, stuff like that. Um, I was really into the more um, hip hop side of that. So the, the production, like the technical production required to make those beats, the bar is pretty low. So I was like teaching myself and just throwing shit up on SoundCloud. And I started to get some, get some traction from like little blogs and stuff like that. And um, it just made me think like, oh, you know, maybe I can make this work out. So I started DJing more and more, started taking releasing self self um, release music more seriously as Owen Bones and um by like 2013, 2014, I was talking with a management company and because I, I had put some music out that was like doing okay um, on streaming services and stuff. And I ended up working with this guy, Josh Kaplan, who owns a management company called The Propeller here in Chicago. And he had done a lot of work with the cool kids. He managed a bunch of songwriters, um, you know, all these kind of like big shot, like songwriters for Lady Gaga and like commercial songwriters and shit. So he was always just kind of like trying to help me out. And I was doing this weird avant-garde electronic music shit that like was hard to, you know, make money off of. So he was always kind of looking for opportunities for me. And he had worked with the cool kids a lot individually during their first, first go around. I don't know how many of our, of your listeners would be familiar with them, but um, they were really successful from like 2007 to 2012. I would say they were like at the top of the world and really had a shot to be kind of like a, um, huge, huge success, like, uh, you know, a Kanye or Lupe Fiasco or something like that. But they got totally fucked by business because um, they were like really, really young when they were touring the world and their management sucked, blah, blah, blah. But this Josh guy had worked with them. I was given the opportunity to do a song with them for one of my projects that was coming out that was going to come out in 2016. And it was going to be the first new Cool Kids song in like a really long time because they were not technically broken up, but they were not uh, touring anymore. Both of them mm -hmm. were on good terms, but they just weren't the Cool Kids anymore. Um, and so that song almost came out as a Cool Kids feature, but it was they were they were like, no, you know, let's just have it as our solo name. So it was featuring Sir Michael Rocks and Chuck English, the two guys in the Cool Kids. Um, a month or two goes by. Suddenly I see an announcement like, oh, we've, the cool kids are back. Like the cool kids are coming back. The, the feature was changed to featuring the cool kids. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I wonder if I had anything to do with that. And then another month or two goes by, uh, you know, my Josh, my manager calls me and he's like, yo, come in, talk to, you know, I want to talk to you about some shit. And he's like, the cool kids are getting back together. They need a new tour DJ. And like, you're a DJ, you're a smart guy. So, you know, I figure you would want to work with them. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. You know, I didn't really have anything else going on. So I was like, yeah, let's go. And 
Um, November 2016, played a show with them at the Art Institute, this event called Art After Dark. And uh, yeah, 2016, 2017, I traveled around with them a lot in the US and played a bunch of shows and got to open as myself. Like I would DJ to open for them as Owen Bones, which was a really cool opportunity. And um, yeah, we just hit it off and I was on the road with them for a while and we, were, we all became friends. Who is it in the cool kids that you do mystery school with again? Uh, Sir Michael rocks. Sir Michael rocks. rocks. Yeah. You guys, yeah. I know that uh, there's a segment oftentimes where you'll just like come up with a beat on the spot and he'll have to yeah. freestyle, which is awesome, which is pretty cool. Cause I mean, usually like when you ask somebody to freestyle, you're like, all right, here's a beat, like show me what you got, but it's cool. Yeah. That you guys work together and he's like, no, I don't like that part of the beat. Change it up. Like let's do something right. else. And you guys like come together to do something. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, dude, that's, thank you. First of all, that's, um, that's become, you know, I would say the, the most singular greatest evolution of what I'm doing as a musician it has come through that segment, which um, again, for the, for the people listening who have no idea who the hell we are, um, Mystery School, the Mystery School stream, we do it on Twitch, Monday to Friday at 9pm, and it goes till midnight, and we, we fancy it as like a late night show. And this, this segment that, that Reed just mentioned is called Sudden Death, where uh, we have 30 minutes to make a full song start to finish. And I'm a producer, so I make the beat and, you know, Mikey does the raps and our, our chat suggests what the song is about. So we do the news articles throughout the stream. Like we read news articles that are submitted to us uh, right before the stream starts. And most of them are pretty weird or funny. And we'll, we'll have everyone pick their, their top three and our viewership um, will, will vote on the one that we have to do a song about. So it's this kind of revolving door, like generative musical improv where um, some nights it's more cut and paste where, you know, it's a song about like, we'll do an article about uh, a dude who robbed the convenience store and he was wearing a watermelon on his head as like a mask. <laughs> so uh, we did a whole song about like, you know, the watermelon head robber. Other times it's like way more fucking out there, like there was a someone submitted an article about this you might have seen this um it's like an electric bus called the e-bussy and everyone was like oh do these people realize like what the that, fuck? But i'm gonna look it up right now <laughs> yeah search e e-bussy spelled exactly how you would imagine um so they had us do the e-bussy freestyle so like we're like what the fuck does that even mean like what's that about but we just kind of you know, I make a beat, like a tight beat that it sounds what I imagine this freestyle would sound like. And he just kind of, he's asking our viewership, like, um, okay, give me some bars. Like, and the, the chat's kind of helping him write the lyrics and the freestyle and he'll kind of freestyle the rest of it. And, and we do it all in a, under 30 minutes. And dude, this honestly, looks like the brainchild of Elon Musk and the Beatles. Yes. It's, that's <laughs> the perfect way to describe it. Uh, but like we were, we were debating, like, did they know what they were doing with this name? Like, did they know that people would talk about it? You have to, it? you can't not. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're uh, what's his name? Uh, fucking uh, Shapiro. Oh, Ben Shapiro. Yeah. Did you guys, yeah. have you talked about that on your stream yet? Yeah. The, 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 uh, the cover he did, the reading the lyrics. No, the Ben Shapiro where uh, his wife is a doctor and she's like, oh, yeah, like it, there's something medically wrong with you if your pussy gets wet during sex. Oh, <laughs> Ben was like talking yeah. about he's like bragging about it. He's like, so men like, you know, if you're a woman's pussy gets wet during sex, there's something wrong with her. I'm like, really? Is that what your wife tells you, Ben? Yeah, he Ben has a lot of problems, man. We actually um, on the on the topic of the sudden death uh, segment, we do something we've been doing recently to add more challenge to it is um if we hit a certain subscriber goal for the night, like I'll, I'll be forced to work in a certain sample. And there's this great video of Ben Shapiro reading the lyrics, very deadpan to that, uh, that Cardi B, Nicki Minaj song. Yeah. Where he's like that. wet ass P word, you know, talking about that yeah. shit. Um, and I was going to have to put that in the beat. If like, I would have to work that into the beat if we hit the goal for that. So we're doing shit like that all the time. Uh, so we dunk on Ben Shapiro on the stream all the time as well. Hell yeah. Good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Fuck him. Do you ever freestyle? <laughs> yes. Um, not so much anymore. Uh, but we used to do freestyle Fridays on the stream where we would both just do these like fucking cursed stream of consciousness freestyles. Um, and actually, ironically, it all comes back to debate, man. I, D debate I, yeah, I was really bring helped that me back. freestyle yeah. man that is one way it helped my creative process like it it all relies on kind of solidifying your stream of consciousness to like speak really fast and respond to you know uh, uh verbal stimulus and shit so 
I was never like a God level freestyler, but I had this kind of like bizarrely verbose freestyle ability because of debate, I would say. And we, I used to do it on the stream, but now that we do the stream remotely, there's like latency between when he hears the beat and I do. So now I just kind of let him do all the, the rapping and I stick to the, the DJ and the beat stuff. Yeah. Stick to your strengths. I feel that. Right. Is there, are you going to rap over your music sometime in the future? Can we be expecting that? Um, I don't know, man. Like that's, so the mystery school project uh, that we put out in February of 2019, it was the first music that I ever had any of my own voice on Um, in the band that I was in for so long, like a decade, they would always ask me to sing. They'd be like, dude, you should try singing. And I was like, fuck that. No, I will never, (laughs) ever use my voice. It's, I don't know why I had no good reason. I just didn't feel attached to to using my voice as an instrument. And um, I just denied it at every opportunity aggressively. And the mystery school's uh, music came along and something about it, I just, uh, you know, I sang some of the hooks and um, it just felt what was, felt like what was right. Now I'm in a weird place because I'm making so many beats for the stream every night and I don't even really have time to make my own music. And it's given me a lot of pause on like, if I was to release new own bones music, what would it be like? Like, would I, would I do a full track that's just me? Would that be rapping technically? Would I be singing? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm considering it. Um, but you'll never catch me doing some like, you know, auto-tune fucking like flexing, you know, oh, yeah. type like Good. the hardcore rap shit. But uh, I'll probably use my voice again in the future. Please do. I, I want to hear it. And you know what? <laughs> because I know you, I'm just going to keep on bugging you every every once in a while. And I see yeah. you. Hey, did, you uh, did you rap yet? Can I hear it? Like, you, you know, <laughs> sure. And you're like, no, man, you can't. Nobody there can is. There is one, um, I did do vocals on a couple sudden death songs as like incentives. We would hit these goals for the stream. And um, one song was, did you see that video a couple months ago of that monkey in an East Asian country that runs up and tries to steal a little girl off of the bench? And it's yeah. like this monkey like kidnaps the kid. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of the sample goals because it had this great, um, this great like organic music in the background that someone was playing on the street while this monkey ran up and tried to kidnap this girl. So I was like, yo, that would be hilarious if we made a beat out of that. Um, so the we, we did an entire song where the, the basis of the beat was I sampled that monkey video. It has this great like gamelan sound playing in the background. And so I made a whole beat out of that. And the topic was like uh, this kid who, oh yeah, there was a kid who stole his parents' car to go try to buy a Ferrari or some shit. And our chat voted that we had to do a freestyle where one of us is the kid stealing the car and the other one is the cop that pulls the kid over. And so I had to do the cop. And we have these um, these these voice changers that we oh, use on the stream yeah. that will, you know, I can... Uh, sound a lot a lot older a lot more masculine like this so we would freestyle um with these like voice changers on and so i I was the cop i was doing the cop in this voice and i freestyled over over the beat um and that actually came out we released the first sudden death mixtape on bandcamp the other day that's a collection of like these fucking cursed songs that we what's it under on bandcamp uh mystery school us.bandcamp.com um all of the songs on that tape were made in under 30 minutes our chat like decided the topic. It's like kind of like a, an improv album, um, which is super, super bizarre. I used to take releasing music so seriously. Like it all had to have some sort of fucking greater meaning. And this collection of 30 songs that we made over the last year that we just literally shit out every night. Uh, people were so excited about it and like so enthusiastic about it coming out. It was a really funny uh, inversion. I know you're focusing on your stream now. When COVID's over, are you going to go back to DJing bars and clubs and parties? You know, I don't know, man. I I love to DJ. It's something I am actually really passionate about. And, you know, not to play some fucking hipster street cred card or anything, but like, I think that EDM in the US like really fucked everyone's heads up as they relate to DJs. We think about like EDM DJs, like the chain smokers now, you know, when you think Mm -hmm. about DJs. Um, my experience with DJing was uh, more where you would go to a cool event or party or club and there would be a dude playing music that you have never heard before 
and you probably won't ever find out what it was. And they're playing like secret cool shit. And it was like a, being a DJ, you know, a while ago, again, not to get on a fucking high horse or whatever, like it's all just <laughs> music. But, you know, I, I think undeniably the culture has changed to like people want to hear music they know that has like a big pop chorus in a bar in River North, like after their fucking, you know, startup job gets out at, at six o'clock at night or whatever. <laughs> I resent that, man. Like it's a good way to make money. I'm not going to lie. You know, if you get into the right circle, like I sometimes DJ in River North and, you know, I make decent money do, or I made decent money doing that. Um, but it was just a financial motivation, honestly. Uh, I enjoy DJing for the cool kids, but that's very different too, because I'm just kind of playing backing tracks. You know, that's not there for me. There's, there's not that much um, uh, creative expression that goes into Mm -hmm. it, I guess. Um, The stream, however, you know, we make above minimum wage, like from our desks and I get to play whatever I want and curate the show as I see fit. And yesterday, you know, I mixed um, a fucking UK drill song into I Write Sins, Not Tragedies by Panic of the Disco. Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And there's like just this sort of um, this feeling of, of cultivating a listenership that comes to see what we're going to do as opposed to just like trying to appease the masses which is fun in its own way. And that's a long way of saying like, I don't know, man, I, I, the stream and what we've, what we've discovered with doing the, the show on Twitch is much more creatively fulfilling for me since it, it flexes all of these different interests I have. It's not just being a performing artist because I figured I would, like when I was 18 to you know, 22, I was like, I'm going to put out music, go on tour and repeat. And like, that would be my life. And now that I've experienced what this is like, where I acknowledge I have other talents, I like to, I I am a good DJ. I I like to DJ. I like to make beats. I like to talk about the news. That's a much better fit for me. And um, I think that that will give me other opportunities to DJ and stuff, but I'm feeling pretty good about where the stream's at. And ironically, I'm not itching super hard to like, quote unquote, go back to how things were like when the world goes back to normal, because I've this period forced me to kind of uh, develop some some skills that I I think were latent or like I wasn't really looking at when I just considered myself a, a performing artist, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember uh, we had a conversation. It was like the first time I met you, you just got back from San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I was asking you about, you know, what do you do? Like, I know you're involved in music, but the conversation we had at the dinner table didn't really go into depth because everybody else knew what you did. Like, I'm not going to ask. And you're talking <laughs> about like, Oh yeah. Like sometimes I DJ at these clubs and these clubs. And I'm like, well, what do you DJ? And you told me this story and I'll let you tell the rest of it, but I'll get it started. Is that you got asked to DJ like a certain genre of music oh, at a yeah. club. And right. you were just like, no, fuck that. Yeah, that was so, dude, that was one of these like illusion breaking experiences that I had in my life where um, it was actually right. I'm in, I'm in Logan Square right now. It's this place. Uh, I can't remember the name of the building, but it's like right on, on diversity. If anyone, diversity, uh, Milwaukee intersection, if anyone's in Chicago, um, it's like this second floor of a loft. And I was asked by these people who run a Chicago film festival to DJ this like opening night for this, this like revolving film festival sort of event. And I'm a pretty open format DJ. I don't, I I play everything. I can play pretty much every genre, but I skew towards uh, hip hop and um, you know, kind of laid back electronic music, but I I can, I can go anywhere like house or whatever the hell. So I I make very clear when I get a booking, I'm like, is this open format? Meaning I can play whatever the hell I want and read the room. Or is there an expectation that I play a certain type of music? And this woman told me like 30 times, like, Oh no, you can play whatever you want. Like, it's fine. It's open format. Everything's fine. And I asked her over and over because I was just really wanted to be sure. Like, are you sure I can play whatever I want? So I pull up, you know, I set my shit up and the, the air conditioner was out in there for some reason. So it was really shitty, like off top. But I start, you know, I start playing music. I'm playing kind of like laid back stuff, um, uh, like just just calming beats and kind of like loungy sort of stuff. Because it looked like kind of uh, a film event. I was trying to read the room. I was trying to, you know, it looked a little classy. So I was like, okay, let's see what we can do here. And then all these people started showing up that kind of looked like... Um, a cross between like bikers and 
uh, how people dress in the movie Blade Runner, where they're all like decked out in like black leather jackets with like spikes movie. on them and shit. Yeah, Hell shout yeah. out Blade Runner. Um, and I was like, okay, this is weird. Like the crowd changed from, you know, maybe 30 something like entertainment industry type people to like 75% these dudes and men and women in biker jackets and like all black, like leather and chromed out shit. I'm like, okay, this is weird. And at that point in time, several people came up to me and were like, can you play something more industrial? And I was like, oh, industrial, <laughs> like, oh, shit. Um, out of all the genres, you know, I have, that's definitely not one that I, I specialize in. So I'm like, oh, fucking industrial. You don't have nine-inch nails industrial. in your back pocket? I had, like, a nine-inch nail song or something. Like, I played Closer or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. But there were, like, three hours left in my set. And I was like, how, what? how am I going to make this work, man? And <laughs> as, time kept, as time went on, people kept coming up to me, different people, angrier every time. Like, can you play some fucking industrial music? Like, and getting really aggressive with me. And I was like, Jesus Christ, what's the, what's the deal here? And eventually, I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm pulling out anything even vaguely industrial, which at this point is probably like, you know, a Kendrick Lamar feature or some shit. And uh, this woman comes up to me, like, fuming. And she's like, do you know what kind of event this is? And I was like, no, actually, I don't. I was told I could play whatever. And she was like, the band ministry is standing right there. And this is their, their party for their documentary that premiered at the film festival earlier today. So can you put on some ministry music? Can you put on some wet? And I was like, holy shit. And at that point, she's telling me that this is a after party for the band ministry, like famed industrial band on Wax Tracks Records. I, like, I was like, okay, I'll see what I can do. I flagged over the next DJ and I was like, I'm out of here. I'm like, I'm done. I just, I just closed my shit, turned it off. I went over to the woman who booked me and I was like, I, I'm leaving. You lied to me. You deceived me. And I just fucking bounced and I never heard from him again. They still paid me. Cause I mean, they screwed me over, but uh, it's like, it's fine. I wasn't like too upset about it or anything, but I'm like, man, how do you fuck that up? Like, this is very clearly a hyper specific type of uh, event. They were getting very angry at me, but. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a moment. That was definitely yeah, that's definitely some important information that would help you, even <laughs> yeah. if, like the day before, right? Even if they, even if she just had said, you know, be prepared to play some industrial music, I would have been like, oh, I have virtually none of that, but I'll find some. Uh, but no, I was playing like Kendrick Lamar and shit for these ministry heads who were like just ready to beat me up in the alley outside of the event. It was pretty crazy. Do you ever spin records, or is a lot of it through your computer? Oh, no, it's all computerized, man. That was like, I got this, these tiny, the devices right here are what I use to DJ mm-hmm. on the stream. Um, and for the, for the viewers or for the listeners at home, these, this shit is like the size of like a textbook, like a school textbook yeah. or something. Opened up um, textbook. Yes, I opened up textbook. And it's like, that was like a big debate when I was getting into DJing is you would have the like, oh, no real DJs play on vinyl. And, you know, then you had people like me who were like, I just want to play cool songs for people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't give a shit how it happens. And frankly, I want the, um, the easiest to do version of that with uh, the least amount of shit I need to move around. Um, so I used to feel a little squeamish about that, like what the difference is. But I don't know, man, as far as I can tell, like, unless you get some sort of creative fulfillment, like some sort of personal joy out of playing vinyl or like touching CDJs or whatever, I don't really care one way or another. It actually, it's like a lot more cumbersome. Like it's actual physical records. And oh, yeah. if the bass is too loud in the venue, it's like shaking the needle and all sorts of crazy shit. I would like a reliable, you know, I just have to bring my laptop, a small controller, and I can, I can do a decent DJ set. But I'm, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, fuck the old head DJs. It's like whatever works for you, man. And yeah. this, this is easy for me. It works for my lifestyle. So I like the, uh, the digital version. Yeah, I, well, when we DJ, we try and keep it to vinyl just because, like, we have, like, a very DIY aesthetic for hip yeah. dad radio. And so when people are like, oh, yeah, can you DJ our party? Like, that's kind of what they expect, you know? Right. We want these guys to, like, come in, like, a fucking goofy costume and, like... Hell, yeah. And, like, a cowboy hat and, and down our turntables <laughs> yeah. and come in with, like, two big crates of records, like... Right. Kind of knowing what we want to play. And there's there's a lot of us that DJ. There's, like, typically, like, four or five of us every party that we play at. And it's, like, you know, we only play for, like, 30 minutes each. But I can't tell you how many times, like, 
people will come up to you like, oh, are you spinning vinyl? Like, this is awesome. We yeah. never get to see this. And it's cool. Like, and you feel like in a way you're kind of getting street cred. But at the same time, like, I fucking wish it was easier. Because what we do is we usually DJ it's for friends. And it's so much. And we get, you know, we party at the parties we go to. You know, we drink. Yeah. And, and we do things. And we go home drunk. And we're not bringing this fucking equipment home with us. Right. And so it's <laughs> right. the whole thing. That, the next day we're all hung over. We're like, oh, who's going to go fucking get the DJ With the Technics like, and the fucking mixer and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. there's two apartments it has to go to. So it's like, yeah. not only do you have to pick it up, we have to sort whose records are whose. Like, they get all mixed up in the middle of the night. Right. And you're right. The, the needle is a big problem hell yeah people if it's if it's at a small place people just fucking bump the table all the time yes and i hate to be that guy that's like yo man stay the fuck away from the table but you have to you can't play music if they keep bumping the table you have to yeah dude i like i love again the the aesthetic of playing vinyl hell yes i looked into that when i was first starting to dj and i was like oh i gotta spend a lot of money on these turntables and actually move them around and pay for the needle tips and have a vinyl i was like okay i'm just gonna fucking use my itunes library like maybe i'll get into this later if i had the the means man i would love to but it's just like a necessity thing for me like i can fit you know these two guys into my carry-on my laptop and these two guys into my my fucking backpack Mm -hmm. and i'm good to i'm good to perform at a show um, and like that at the end of the day was more important for me and my lifestyle at the time. Um, you know, ideally if, you know, if we start making more money doing the mystery school stream or something, I would love to have like a dedicated hardware setup or something. Cause I would want to film it. I would want people to see that that's what's going on. Cause it looks so much cooler that it really does give it a, a feeling, you know, playing, playing vinyl, but I'm just kind of like, I got to prioritize the, uh, the, um, I guess, functionality of it at this point in my life. I'm totally with you. Yeah. If you ever do have the money, it's fun. That's the setup we have in our apartment. We have two turntables and uh, uh, my roommate's buddy from college is actually an audio engineer. He works for a company and he got us like a 50% discount on like a really good mixer. Oh, sick. And so what we're kind of starting to do, and we've done it a couple of times is we'll tape a camera to the ceiling and fit when we're streaming on Twitch, we'll like, film us spinning the Hell records yeah. and so like you see us like taking it out of the case people love that man they like yeah because it's not something you really get to see anymore definitely not i love that i love to see it and i man i i don't know why I, oh i was because i was on the mystery school account i just followed you guys from the mystery school account i got to tune in the next one perfect awesome well uh thanks for coming on the show man i really appreciate it can you uh go ahead and tell our audience where they can find you where they can support you Sure, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me talk about the intersection between debate and freestyling. You got it. Um, so, yo, I'm I'm Owen Bones everywhere at Owen Bones, O W E N B O N E S, like a skeleton. Um, I'm one of the hosts of Mystery School US on Twitch. We're also Mystery School US everywhere else, Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's it's like it's like late night for the end of the world. That's also how we're how we're describing it recently. It's just nothing fucking matters anymore. So we're just gonna shit post and freestyle and make songs on twitch so come check it out man 9 9 p.m central every every weeknight awesome well thanks for coming on and listening community all of owen's information is going to be in the show notes open that up and give it a click thanks for being on the show man dude thanks for having me thanks for tuning in for more information on today's episode click the link on your podcast players for our show notes to stay up to date on everything Hip Dad Radio, follow us on Instagram at Hip Dad Radio. See you next time. Man, I want you to be my comment. What's up? Why the fuck you gonna be cool? Uh, tired of dealing with all these club hoes. Why the fuck ain't you be around? I know you busy doing your thing. I can't lie, I'm doing the same. Yeah, I've been traveling like every damn day. It's the only thing on my brain. I'm gone. Always miss them when I be looking for you I know you busy, I ain't tripping on you But nowadays I'm busy too, girl You should check me out, I got my art direction How I want so now they get my sound back to you, trying to get back to you Where you being, where you being Just turn on your location, drop a pin Show me something though Always kind of different from the usual What's up? Always trying to travel to the newest place Come in San Diego in the newest space They be getting mad when they can't relate There's a lot of type of dishes on my dinner plate Oh man, what's happening? Is there something that I gotta say? Yeah, I've been all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Triple E, man, I'm just trying to stay. Oh man, what's happening? Yeah. Oh man, what's good? Yeah, I've been all over the world. Doing exactly what I should. 
Adjust the level, split the wello, check the schedule, sport the bezels like it's 1997 in this bitch, nigga. I weld the metal to the pedal, let me tell you, tell him kiss your ass. Like my uncle used to tell me, top seller, chop lettuce, a rock gas is on schedule. And niggas better know better. I could barbecue up there if I had to. And peep how I rap real casual. Actually, I'm asking you to school me. Blew me in the email and I'll see if we can do it. What's the details? Looking at the females, it looks chopped. And you know without that GPS, your ass would be lost, boy. Freaky top, Mr. Jesus. Flex bins, beaming jeans. High as another planet and I'm sitting in the trees. So where you at? Where you at? You got a bag? Yeah, it's packed. Oh, man, what's happening? This is something that I gotta say. Yeah, I've been all over the world. Super leave and I'm just trying to stay. Oh man, what's happening? Yeah. Oh man, what's good? Yeah. I've been all over the world. Doing exactly what I should. Oh man, what's happening? This is something that I gotta say. I've been all over the world. Truth for me, I'm just trying to stay. Oh man, what's happening? Oh man, what's good? I've been all over the world. Doing exactly what I should. Strong enough to toss a whale up with my bare hands.